Plug in. Why do we have? Uh, I haven't noticed this much delay with Skype as I do with Zoom on the audio. Why have you? You, you may have more experience with both platforms than me. Do you? I don't. I'm essentially a Luddite. I only use the technology I need to do what I need to do. That's exactly what I do. That's exactly what I do. You know what that is? Again, my favorite, my favorite three words or three letters, Z-E-N. That's the essence of it right there, my friend. If you like practical, if you like tactical, and if you like um, living life efficiently with what you can call realization, awareness, then you'll like Zen. You yeah, can carry a katana and still do your job. I think a lot of people have a misunderstanding of Zen. It's, exactly, very much so. Very yeah. much so. They need to read the they need to read the story of Milarepa. If you've never read the story of Milarepa, I highly recommend it. Just so you see what is involved in so-called uh, spirituality or the search or those that go in in search of higher meaning. Uh, and live a completely and utterly human life because Milarepa was a murderer. He had a guru that essentially busted his balls for years and years and years with doing nothing but building and tearing down, building, demolishing. He, he, was, he had to be absolutely 100%, no hesitation, devoted to the orders presented to him. And for years and years and years into utter just madness, despair, uh, finally the acceptance and just simply moving into a whole different way of being in relationship to the totality of his life and everything he had done. Amazing story. One of my favorites. I'll have to look into that. That sounds yeah. cool. Yeah. And Arjuna also. I, I posted the other day, my three. Uh, you guys are all, you know, you like to talk about archetypes and you like to talk about heroes. How old are you? I'm uh, 33. Uh, three years younger than my son. My son's 36. You look younger than that. I thought you were younger. I thought you were in your 20s. Yeah, I get that a lot. It's, uh, it's funny, man. I, I tell people, no matter how hard I try, uh, I still can't seem to prematurely age myself. <laughs> well, you're a lucky, you're a lucky man then. You know, you may just have the genes. Yeah, I, I may just, uh, may just live forever. Hopefully not. You may be one of the chosen ones, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Chosen, chosen for what? I don't know, but <laughs> you've already had a taste of it. <laughs> <laughs> it's not in the future. It's always now. That's always right. now. There's nothing but it. There's nothing but now. So yeah. Anyway, man, I won't bend your ear. I'm uh, I'm having fun with you this morning. I, I really enjoy meeting a lot of you younger guys, and I've been enjoying. Uh, you know, even my son. I mean, my son and I have developed a whole different uh, level of relationship, which is really cool. And so my life has been, you know, going swimmingly. As uh, Mr. Uh, uh, Garrett Garrett said, that, that always stuck in my memory. The two two things stuck in my memory in terms of when I first meet somebody, even if it's online, 
if I meet somebody and I see how they act and react and what they'll and what they're willing to say, uh, and also um, just the recognition that even comes across online. I mean, to me, that's that's fucking amazing. There's some you can actually make a connection with somebody without ever seeing them, only through a light screen with symbols on it. And so, what does that tell you about? what people are constantly talking about consciousness as though consciousness was somewhere else. This is what's amazing to me is people love to talk about consciousness as though it's an object. Well, what the fuck do you think you're living in friends? This is it. This is it. It's up to us to build the world that works. That's probably one of my favorite sayings. I've been in construction all my life and yet I can look out over the abstract landscape as well as the construction landscape, meaning the literal infrastructure of life with all of the systems that we created, as well as the abstract structures of, of mind, of philosophy, of so-called higher thought. And so what you have is you have the extremes. You have people that think that spirituality or that, you know, all this new age stuff is all, you know, elsewhere and, oh, everything's cool and it's all about love, you know, and blah, blah, blah. And, and then to the other religious extremes of within all of the religions, essentially, you can identify them, some much less than others, but then you have all of the reality that we're building. This world, as we look at it, it's not a, a new age cliche to say we are the world. When we look in our immediate environment, we're seeing ourselves also. You're sitting in an environment right now in a room, and it's 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 your environment, it's something that you essentially contribute to all the time, whatever it is. You put up a poster, you do this, you do that, you're in there, you're, you know, you're doing what you're doing. But our immediate realities are what we're constructing. You know, they're not happening to us. We're embedded in a system that influences us to move in a certain direction, but there's no necessity to it. And this is why what goes back to sustainability and construct literally constructing Beautiful, freaking, small-scale homes, 100% functional, that you don't have to live under the thumb of the system. You don't have to do that anymore. Technology has arisen to give us freedom, not make us more, not make us continuous slaves. We should be living in relationship with each other in beautiful environments where you have an element of community, an element of trust, you have men that get together as, as men. You have women that get together as women. Now, of course, you have all these complications that arise when people develop community. Well, you're already living in a society which is completely fucked up. What are you worried about? Worried about a cult? You're already living in a fucking cult. You know, it's culture. It's based on certain ideas that force behavior in specific directions. They enforce behavior in specific directions. Some of that's very good. We need order. That's why traffic signals work and sewer systems and all of the rest of the systems we have, you know? So I'm just saying that getting back and going into the direction now of sustainability. I hear you know, you might even know more than me. I mean, that'd be pretty unheard of, but it could happen. Well, I mean... <laughs> That's that's definitely an area that I'm into um, because oh. 
Just a second, man. Sorry about that. Yeah, so, I mean... No worries. That's you got a family. Don't don't worry about that. I know if you ever need to interrupt or take a break or whatever, no problem. I'll do the same. That's a that's a big subject you brought up there. I mean, it could be anything from from how you build to how you garden to how you live to who you associate with. Yeah, I mean, it's all of it. Um, you know, let me. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to shift my location here to make it a little easier for me to do this. So hang on just a second. No worries, man. Going down the hall. It lives. Excellent. What I like, I, I, like, I my, like living things. Dead ones are boring, you know? Yeah. I uh, Plus, with this back scene here, I like having my video quality low because it pisses Garrett off so much. <laughs> Let him have it, man. Let him That's have right. it. If it bothers him, it needs to be addressed. Exactly right. That's then. <laughs> That's also Zen. So we'll be doing Zen along with construction here. But anyway, you go ahead. And you're absolutely right. I mean, in terms of systems technology, we already have all of them. From sanitary sewer treatment to uh, electrical systems, incorporating the latest, you know, Elon Musk technology, basically, um, for power, battery backup. Uh, there's oodles and boodles of fucking land available all over the United States that's very reasonably priced. When I get to know you a little better and I talk to you more about what, you know, I have a real estate license out here in Arizona also. I've been in construction all over the state for over 30 years. Uh, I know a lot of people in construction. I'm continuously developing uh, the business that I'm involved in here. Uh, and so I have all of those. The web of my contacts is, is very good. And I want to pass all that on before I leave. So I'm essentially looking at the long game, as I've said many times. Uh, my first little video with Garrett uh, may have appeared to be, I don't know what I appeared to be. I mean, I viewed it, you know, because I wanted to see how, how did I come across or how am I viewing what it is that I'm saying, and I wasn't entirely pleased, but at the same time, that was me simply being spontaneous, and that's the way I operate. I can be much more professional. I don't have to say fuck all the time, but I do work in construction. 
I do work in construction, and the fact of the matter is when I get into that conversational mode where I'm just free and freewheeling, that's the way I talk because I'm talking to other fucking guys all day long, and everybody says fuck. So, yes, it does get into my, uh, you know, it gets into that pattern, but I don't mind it either. But on the other hand, it's, it's to me, it's language is important. So the language you use, especially now, depending on who you're talking to, you're talking to a bunch of guys, who gives a goddamn? You know, you don't care. But if you talk, you want to talk to a broad range of people, if you appear like you're uh, a little bit too coarse for their liking, I mean, you want to try to appeal to people across the board. There's nothing wrong with that. That's intelligence as far as that. And that's respect for other people. You don't have to shove shit in people's face because, you know, because you believe it. Who gives a fuck? You, you need to respect other people and the way they think and allow them to do so as long as they don't start stepping on my toes. Now, the moment they start stepping on my toes and telling me that they don't like the way that I think when my ideas are not infringing upon either their rights or their own minds, then I need to speak up a little bit. You know, uh, on the agreeable quotient, I'm uh, 80 fucking 87. And do you know that most of my life, I, in, in very many ways, I can look back on it and I can say I let other people influence me more than needed to be so because I was getting along. Now, of course, each stage of my life, I would get along so, so long within that stage and I'd reach the end of it, just as an example, the Christian ministry. I spent five years in the Christian ministry. Uh, and, and so I was in training that entire time. Right at the end of it, I get my ministerial certificate and I'm done with it. Because I saw my primary insight was that all I had been doing my entire life was trying to fit my experience within the box of culture, within the box of the range of interpretation and what other people, because I would go to people and I would say, I would talk to them about my experiences and, and they would say, oh, well, that's. You know, that's God doing this, and that's the reason that happened is this reason, so on and so forth. But I'd already had enough. I had sufficient experience to realize these people don't know what the fuck they're talking about either. You know, they're just throwing they're just throwing out their spiel because that's what they've been told, and they feel comfortable with that. Well, that's not good enough for me. I have to keep asking questions. And the other day I posted that, you know, online about questions. And, I mean, it hit me so powerfully. You know, sometimes a, a simple truth that you're actually living in, sometimes all of a sudden it just awakens you go, wow. You know, this this whole notion of asking questions. All of our our cultures are based on asking questions. If you ask the right, even the even our systems, our computer, you know, our digital computer systems, that's what they're doing. Code is is asking a lot of questions. Boom, 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 boom. If this, if that, if this, then this, then that, you know, bum, bum, bum. I mean, at, the, at, at virtually, you know, the speed of light, you're performing all these calculations about conditions and uh, what is influencing people. So, you know, you tie that with in the memes, in, into the whole notion of memes. I think when I, I go, I always like to go back and read the definition of a word, and just, you know, just so that, because you have to have a basis, you have to have a connotation to the word. You, I mean, I'm sorry, you have to have a denotation to the word before you have a connotation, you know, because, and, and connotations are as variable, I mean, there's always slight, you know, very, uh, 
nuanced differences in people when they hear a word. Because <clears throat> when people hear a word, they have a response. I mean, it triggers something. It doesn't matter what word it is. If they're, if they're unaware of what their reaction is when the word is said, then they're just, they're literally like one of Pavlov's dogs. And if you're around people long enough and you learn, you begin to see, okay, how does this person respond to that? If you're really paying attention to the interactions that you have with other human beings, you're going to sense and see how you can lead the conversation in certain directions. You can cause conflict. You can cause, you, you can do amazing things. And it sounds like some mad, you know, uh, person that's controlling. It has nothing to do with with a, the person controlling. It has to do with the observation of what's the best fucking thing to do in this situation. And that's the way life is. And that ties right back to this, to construction. People, here's my sense. So many people feel absolutely oppressed and suppressed by the system in every single dimension of their life. They've got a job that they have to go to that they despise. They're barely making it. You know, when they feel like they're, they're, they're working so hard and their life is committed to what? Their survival. But even their survival without the necessary distractions, you know, whatever they may or may, whether it's alcohol, drugs, sex, online, everything associated with the power of attention to be direct, you know, with direct the direction of attention, because people's attention, what, why do people like certain things and dislike others? Well, some give them pleasure and some don't feel so good. I mean, it can get very, very much down to that level. If, if they don't have enough sufficient distractions, then maybe their mind tends to wander into what their actual living circumstance is, and, and they don't feel real happy about that. It gets depressing. So people need to feel like people want to get more control of their lives, while on the other hand, they don't want to do anything for it. They don't want to, they, they don't want to look at options. They're too lazy. You know, they're, they're too obsessed or they, or they can't. I mean, there are people that, that literally are so wrapped up, you know, are so caught up in both their own histories, their own stories up to that, up to whatever point they are in their lives, along with all of the, um, the extreme difficulties and all of the emotional complications that they exist in on a daily basis. And when you go online, freaking madhouse, you know, it's like, really? You people are arguing about all this stuff? And then they have no contact with nature, chance, no contact with nature, no sense of, of community. They're isolated in their little fucking electronic caves, both physically, meaning when I say electronic cave, I mean the neurological system, the brain itself, which, you know, brain, mind. And then they're looking at a screen. Now, you and I, I'm having a great time with you today. You know why? This is why I emphasize relationship. I may not be able to sit in your company and have a cup of coffee with you or whatever, or eat breakfast together, but I can see your eyes. I can see your face. I have a much more sense of connection with you. So I emphasize that. That's what I want to use this technology for, what we're doing today. I don't want to spend that much time online. I'm willing to contribute like I have been. I'm doing a, you know, I'm going to limit, I'm going to come up with a, uh, whatever, I'm going to organize my time more, pro, uh, you know, 
more consistently and proficiently so that I'm not wasting, I'm, I'm spending too much time on Twitter right now. That's the way mm. it feels, you know, but I needed to develop, I needed to start, I've got to start putting something out there and Twitter's the fastest way to do that. So I want to communicate across all lines, all levels, all lines, all states, all stages. I want to communicate. And that's what I need. I need you guys to help me do that. That's all. I'm going to set up a website. I'm going to be linking, of course, Twitter to my website. I'm going to set up another Twitter account under my, I'm, I'm, I don't know if I use my own name, Justin Manchester, but I, I may use it, prototypes for humanity. I'm open to suggestions. Something if while we're talking today, you come up with a handle that you think would be uh, a track appropriate, you know, for everything sustainable, all things engineering, sustainability, uh, new, you know, all of the connect engineering, so science, technology, engineering, that's what that uh, account's going to be all about. I see. Yeah. I mean, I feel much the same as you. Uh, I hadn't been on social media since the days of MySpace, you know, 15 years ago or whatever. And then I just one day felt compelled to join Twitter and I jumped on and I was uh, quickly banned within about three months. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah, they banned me. I had to set up a new account. Well, you come as, across pretty effectively, uh, you know, on, online, but I think it's funny as hell. I like it. I mean, I wasn't even that controversial. I just pissed off the wrong people. You know, I would have arguments with people with the blue check next to their name and I was a little bit more overtly political. And yeah, it, it took, uh, it took about three months. Can you remember what you said that got you banned? Well, they, they didn't specifically say, and, and and the reason that they gave was fraudulent. They said that, um, I had either condoned or was supporting, or I I had either threatened or was supporting condoning violence i was like well no that's that's not actually accurate at all i was just picking fights with uh blue checks because they were saying dumb things and i learned real quickly that's that's a waste of my time i'm getting into arguments with these people who have 40 million followers and all it takes is um, (laughs) one comment before i get reported it's like well you know what i mean Well, I was, I actually, uh, you know, I actually skated through Twitter. I was just exploring. When I first went on Twitter, I mean, I'll be completely honest. We all have our political views and I'm not afraid to talk politics because I'm a reasonable man. I don't hate anybody. Nobody do I actually, do I have any feelings like that for. To me, I view life and especially politics is a chess game. And people have their own motivations for winning and losing, or what they call winning and losing. The problem is in politics that the very people that are being governed, see, we're, we're giving consent, the consent of the governed. I've studied a lot of, well, one of my favorite political figures is Thomas Paine. And then there's a guy called Robert Ingersoll uh, that was a very, very famous orator uh, that traveled all over the United States in the 1800s, and he was... He was an agnostic, but the guy's brilliant. He's absolutely brilliant. And he also was tied in with Thomas Paine. So I'm saying we're giving consent to be governed. So when we talk about politics, we should be looking at our politicians as though we're the tribe. See, human beings, the human beings are the tribe and they have leaders. So we're all human beings out here, so to speak. And we're wanting to enact policies that are going to provide the greatest benefit to the broadest spectrum. 
Could we agree on that assertion, that statement? Do you agree with that? Um, I mean, I think that's that's the ostensible aim of politics. That's yeah. rarely the that's really the outcome of politics. Well, what do you? What, where do outcomes come from, Chance? Well, that's. I mean, sure, but you know, input. like I'm a, they come from input. That's right, um, and I exactly right, and that's the thing, you know. People who fail to take responsibility for their actions and their thoughts and their conditions in their life um, tend to want to blame other people for their problems. And once you blame other people for your problems, it's very easy for you to be willing to do things you would not otherwise do in order for um, this perceived unfairness to be corrected. When in actuality, the only unfairness is the way that you're looking at the world uh, and you're running away from the fact that your conditions are the way that they are in large part because of the actions and the perspectives that you took given your inputs. I mean, we're talking about inputs and outputs and this all ties to the building and stuff too, but you know, there are certain inputs that you can't control. You know, you have momentum leading up to your life. You have momentum of a lot of other people surrounding you and they feed you energy. They feed you resources. They feed you problems. It's up to you to decide how to apportion your resources. It's up to you to decide how to solve those problems or not and to add to them. It's up to you to understand that this is what I'm dealing with. Now, what am I going to do about it? And when we try to take responsibility away from ourselves and push it onto somebody else, that can be a very sloppy and dangerous game. And so if we want to talk about leaders and stuff, you know, sure, a tribe is made up of individuals and they're trying to move in a generally uh, beneficial and benevolent direction for the most people across the longest period of time. And so a leader should be the person who can facilitate that the best. Long game. That's right. Long but we don't, we, don't hire, we don't hire the most appropriate and most exceptional people to be our no, leader in the political game. Exactly. And you and I are completely on the same page. And you know, everything that you just said, here's what I, everything that you just said, you know, we like to have a single word that essentially is a synopsis of everything that we're trying to say. And so that word comes to mean a great deal. One single word. That's American. That's what, when I say American, what you just described, I took a test to become a U.S. citizen. I'm a British, I'm a British citizen. So I have dual, dual, uh, dual agency, shall we say. Uh, and taking that test, I thought, man, all you have to be, I mean, I was educated in this country. I've been in the U.S. since I was, I don't know, six years old. That's why I don't have an accent, you know, blah, blah. But I took that test and I thought, this is so ridiculous. You know, because it was so, I mean, it was so elementary. But I could see it. But then I took the perspective of somebody, let's say a Mexican came in and they had no, hardly any uh, American history uh, and, and so forth. And they had to take the test. And I thought, well, this gets to, to a lot of the, of the the essence of the Constitution, but the whole essence of the Constitution and being American to me is about self-determination, less government. So someone says, well, that's a conservative principle. Well, of course it is, because I don't want more. I want less. I want less of you telling me what I'm supposed to be doing, because 
what if you're telling me something I'm supposed to be doing or you're not allowing me to do something that I want to do that does not harm anyone else, then that's too much government, you see? So we still have too, way too much government. We have agencies on top of agencies. We're one of the most wasteful countries in the world. It may be the wasteful. I don't know. China's probably. Imagine what's going to happen now. You're going to, in the next decade, you're going to have another billion people on Earth. In 10 years, you're going to have another billion people. What if we said another billion people want to have everything you've already got and more? All right. People aren't really looking at what the, what the reality is at all. They don't want to. The first thing they'll do is seek an escape. So the Christians, will, many Christians at least, are thinking in terms of Jesus is going to come back and he's going to fix everything. And even if he doesn't, he's going to take us to a nice place and everybody's going to be happy because that's the way it's going to be. So that totally alleviates any responsibility. I mean, it, it deflates any sense of participation. It's like, well, I'm going to do what I need to do because that's the right and moral thing to do. But it doesn't really matter anyway because God's going to come back and fix it. That's the same as government. That's the same thinking that is involved in, in stating that another authority, a higher authority, which I have given consent to, read the Constitution, the consent of the governed. So I've given my consent to whether it's a, an abstract notion of the divine or whether it's a, a building in Washington that houses a bunch of bureaucrats and so-called leaders. How many people do we need to actually make prioritized decisions based both on need and, like I said, you retweeted what I said the other day about altruistic capitalism. You see, I thoroughly believe in the individual. If once I state, make that statement, what, what will follow? If, if my priority is individual rights, what will necessarily follow? Capitalism. I love capitalism. Why? Because it rewards those who work hard. It will do that. Not to everybody. There's a whole layer of freaking uh, luck involved in every stage of life. But that has nothing to do with the fact that whether you're an athlete or a businessman or whatever it is that you're doing, if you push hard enough, you're going to get somewhere. If you seek, you will find. I can't guarantee you what you'll find, but you're going to find something. And it may be what you're looking for, and it may not, because all of the randomness of life also comes into play in every single statement we make. So what? That does not rob us of the very living fact that what you do and what I do matters. And it seems, at least it appears, it's self-evident that we can change things. We make a difference. Sure. And, you know, when you're, when you're talking about sort of the vicissitudes of life and the factors of luck and things, you know, the correct response to that, in my view, is you should be living in a way that you've chosen to live. You should be living on a foundation of principles. 
these things I find to be true and I'm going to live this way and I'm going to accept the consequences of living this way because I can't plan for every variable. I don't know exactly what's coming down the pipeline, but I know that this is the kind of person that I want to be. And so I live this way and then I accept what comes from doing that. You know, like if you believe that you should be speaking truth, it doesn't matter the conditions that arise, you speak truth and you accept the conditions and the consequences that come along from doing that because you've chosen to do that. And to me, the government, the only position that the government should hold is um, ensuring that the individual has the possibility to live the life in the manner that they've chosen as long as they don't cross the line into infringing upon another person's right to do that. And to the extent that the government steps beyond those lines, um, it's, it's going past what it was intended to do at least from my view i mean maybe intended isn't the right word but what it no i i I, should do and furthermore um you know you look you look at say congress or you look at um any legislative body that's creating laws it's like okay we've got how many laws right now thousands and thousands and thousands of laws and yet you guys keep meeting week after week making new laws making new laws, making new laws. For every law that you create, there's an infringement upon my freedom. There's another hoop to jump through. There's another limitation on what I'm allowed to do legally. There's another uh, consequence put in place for things that you don't agree with. But the problem is there's only so many laws that can actually apply to allowing a person to behave in the way that they see fit as long as they're not infringing upon another person's right to do that. That's right. And it's, and it's, it's a handful of laws. You know, it's not, it's not thousands upon thousands. It's not meeting week no. after week, year after year, making laws and rewriting yeah. them. Well, they wouldn't have a job. See, I mean, legis- what are legislators going to do if they're not tweaking or making new laws? You know, I mean, that's what legislators do. But the thing is, what, my perspective on government is, is purely functional. I don't, I don't have any skin in the game. I never did in terms of political party. I'm not a, I, you know, I don't give a shit. I don't even want to, I don't want any of your labels. Not one single one of them because as soon as you name me something, then you put me in this fucking camp. I want you to talk to me about issues, then you can put me where you like. I don't give a shit because what's going to happen is I have very conservative values. I also have very liberal values when it comes to personal choice. And that's what a lot of people on the so-called right don't want to admit. They want to control other people's behavior. Sorry, folks. I've been around a long time. I see what goes on, and I see how what you're saying is tied in with the way that you, you think and feel from a religious perspective, which is fine. But the whole notion of the separation between church and state is a fallacy if it's not really brought into the creation of legislation. In other words, let's take a, 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 a let's take a, a very controversial uh, subject, which is abortion. Now, if you ask me about abortion, I say I don't like abortion. I don't want any woman to have an abortion. I don't like it. I think it's a I think it's an unnecessary evil, and I use that word evil. Then I get all the feminists and everybody up in arms. But, but the, my next point is this: that's what I that's my opinion, but. To go beyond my opinion, I must include the same rights that I'm asserting for myself. So I have to give the individual the right. So the individual should have the right to choose what it is they want to do 
with their body. Now, when it comes to abortion, think of the 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 web of relationships involved in an abortion. First, okay, we're we're talking male, female, so we're talking a man and a woman. So who's involved in this process itself? Well, there's a man and a woman involved for sure, unless she went to a sperm bank or you know what, what you know what I'm saying. There's some somehow a child has been created and there's a web of relationships there. Let's just use the the, the normal uh, biological one of the man and the woman. Now, should the man have any, if the man says, you know what, that's also my child, and just because you don't want to have it, I'm willing to take complete responsibility for that, for you to, you know, you see what I'm saying in terms of, you see how this this process has to develop in terms of what's the actual web of the relationships, who's responsible for what, who has, who, who should have any say, and then you keep following that thread, and then you have to come to the place where, okay, the, who's going to tell the woman that she can't have the child or she has to have the child, even if she doesn't want to? If the child is in her, whose ultimate responsibility should it be placed upon and who should have the right to choose? That's the way yeah. I approach that. I mean, that's a controversial subject, but I'm saying uh, it, it's to me, it's both. I don't want just because I have certain I mean, I want to. It, it, once you get to a place where you say yes to life, you don't want to see it. You want, unless there's the complications. I would never want to bring a child into the world that, that had nothing but, that was already, at, you know, whatever. They're, they've already struck out in, in so many ways. It's just going to be enough. The moment they're born, there's just nothing going to be nothing but a, a battle to survive. And putting tubes in, in a body is, that's not, to me, that's, that's up to the conscious to, if it would, if I was in that situation, in other words, I would just want you to let me go back to sleep, you know? So yeah. there's all of these things involved, but we can't deny the fact of how much influence religious beliefs have around the globe on legislation. I mean, even in the United States, uh, we have that assertion of separation between church and state. But there's a lot of interface between church and state, and there's a lot of religion that's bought into politics. Can't be helped because religious, because moral, you know, morality is connected with religion, and religion is connected with um, an ultimate destiny, you know, in people's minds. So it's very significant, you know. That's right, and you know, to a large extent, almost almost universally, humans are religious creatures, meaning regardless of whether you're a Christian or Buddhist or atheist or um, political, there's something, there's a, there's a thing in almost everybody's life that is larger than them that they devote a large portion of their thinking and time towards furthering. You know, you might not believe in Jesus Christ, but you might believe in Muhammad or you might believe in Buddha or you might believe in the power of the government or you might believe in the power of Mother Earth or, or whatever, but there's, a, there's an overarching thing in almost everybody's life that is very important to them. And, and that's sort of their foundation that they build from. And, you know, a lot of times people start with one and become disenfranchised with it because of, um, you know, whatever circumstances or conditions. Like for me, I grew up in Utah. Um, and from the ages of, you know, eight to 16, I was in the Mormon church and then I left. So was I. Yeah. So was I. 
and I left uh, and I took a lot of things with me. Don't get me wrong. You know, I'm not one of these. There's a lot of people who, when they leave their foundation, become very bitter and try to completely disconnect themselves from it. But, but that's not the way I look at it is you have, you have these naive ideals and ideas as you're coming up in the world, as you're growing and developing and you need some sort of foundation to build from. And it doesn't, like we don't expect our children to have a hundred percent accurate view of the world because if they did, it'd be terrifying and they might not be prepared to face it. So you give them Santa Claus, you know, you give them cartoon Jesus, you give them whatever it is that's going to engage their imagination and make them feel safe and make them feel confident that they can engage with the world. Um, but that's training wheels. And then eventually if you were to become a mature person, if you're going to move into actual adulthood, there has to be a point at which you take the trainings, training wheels off and learn how to ride. You know, like I came up Mormon. Um, and then I got to a point where I was asking questions and they either didn't have answers or suggested that maybe I find a new question. And I su- suggested maybe they get fucked. And I went out to try <laughs> to find my question. You know, I, I want the answers to these questions, the questions I have. So, <clears throat> but you know, like the, the process of, the process of asking questions and answering them, you get to a certain point where you don't, you know, you no longer need the framework that somebody else has built for you to grow in. Exactly. You, know, you want to thinking outside the box means you have to fill the box first. And then, you know, you break free and you become an actualized individual and you determine the course of your life. You de- you determine what's important to you. You determine um, what branches of the truth you're seeking to explore and to spread. And then you set about doing that. You learn along the way, you know, the principles, the practices, the habits, the routines, the efficiency. How can I make this happen? And that's, that's a lot of what led me to sort of what led us to this conversation, which is learning how to implement systems in my way of living that are backed by the principles that I have chosen to live by. And um, one of the things that's important to me, like we've talked about, about is the idea of taking care of you and yours. You know, I have myself and I have my family and those are my prime responsibilities. I need to make sure I'm living the life that I can live and be proud of and thrive in and same for my family. They're counting on me to do that. So what are the ways that I can do that? Well, you know, I have to have food. I have to have shelter. I have to have water and I have to have as high a quality of these things as I can. And then you start to ask, what does that mean? Okay. Well, food is clean food. Good food is food that I can eat and not feel bad about eating. So how can I do that? Well, if I make my own food and I know exactly what's going into it, and I know, then I know exactly what I'm getting out of it. And um, you That's know. where the Mormons are a good example. The Mormon culture is a very good example of how to become more self-sufficient and also to survive and thrive within a culture. But we could, I mean, I can tell you some fantastic stories about Mormonism, and I love the Mormon people, honestly. I mean, they were some of the most, I have completely uh, fond memories. I don't have any negative uh, connotations to the Mormon church, because every man there, essentially, I felt support from, even though uh, uh, in my book, I'll go, you'll see the thread, because that's what my, the, the book is. It's literally my own story. Uh, but it's also from it, it's told from many different perspectives simultaneously. Um, I don't know, it, it, but anyway, the, the whole notion of um, 
self-sustainability is inherent in part of, you know, in, 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 it's embedded in Mormonism. That's right. The two-year supply, uh, being, uh, I grew up in a little farming community. Everybody had horses, cows, uh, you know, you butchered a cow, you, you know, all of that type of sustainability uh, issues. And, and also the, the, the hunters, the honor code of the hunter, you know, the real respect, like Joe Rogan demonstrates, you know, in hunting. And, and so forth, and just the art of being a hunter and, and the connection that you have with nature and the fact that everything is indeed a sacrifice for everything else. That's where we get this notion of sacrifice because we've noticed that everything in life requires a sacrifice. And again, that ties back into to Zen and the Samurai Code. That's, that's the essence of when I feel, when I feel that young, everything contained within Zen and the Samurai Code is so appropriate for young men because it teaches you duty, honor, combines all of your physical capacities, your ability to use tools, you be knives. I'm a blade guy. I got a whole, I got, you know, katanas and uh, swords, and I, uh, I'll actually be posting some, uh, some knives. I've been a collector of uh, knives for many, many years, and I bought and sold hundreds. You know, that's the only thing I've ever collected. But my collection has always whittled down to about around 40 different types of knives, both fixed blade and, and folding. But that's one thing, you know, a, a young man to me, if a young man doesn't have a pocket knife, you know, when he reaches a certain, I mean, that's sort of the transition, you know, when you're capable of understanding and using a knife correctly without cutting your fucking hand off, you know, then that's part of a rite of passage. That's right. A, a, knife, a knife is a primary tool. I mean, think of all the things. You know, I get a kick out of all these guys. I know a lot of guys, and they've got just, I don't know, gun collections you wouldn't freaking believe. You know, and it's like, so I say, well, hey, how much ammunition do you have? Uh, you know, I don't know, a couple of hundred rounds, thousand rounds of this. And, you know, if you don't, well, if you came to me and you said, here's a, you know, I'll give you the, here's your choice. I'm going to give you this AR, or it can just be a bolt action. Let's say it's a, a even if it's a bolt action 308. And you say, you can have this rifle, or you can have this fixed blade over here. And it's going to be a nice fixed blade, premium steel, about a six, six to seven inch blade, uh, high grade premium steel. Blah, blah. I'm going to give you this. Rifle and 100 rounds, I'm going to give you that knife. What do you want? And you can't, there's no possible way you're going to find any more ammunition. Not going to freaking happen. Well, what am I going to do? I'll take the knife. The knife is the primary tool to survive. How long are you going to survive with 100 rounds? You know, if that's all you know you're ever going to get, and then you got a nice club, that's all it's useful for. That's right. So I, can make a, I can make a spear with a knife. I can create, I can cut branches with knife. I can create a, a shelter with a knife. Um, and then I can get to the, I can, you know, if I find, if I find the materials, I can make a bow and arrow with a knife. Now I got a bow and arrow, you know, but I can't do that with a gun. So all this high premium value on guns, is not really about survivability unless you've got some underground bunker with freaking thousands of rounds of ammunition and, and most of the high you know, high-end tactical gear that, that's available because there's, I mean, it's crazy what's available now to people. For sure. You know? 
But yeah. I'm just saying, this whole notion <laughs> of masculinity, it's so funny because I get I see all these this thing, and I'm not I'm not criticizing a lot of these guys that are hyper masculine or whatever. I mean, they're cool, they got their, their function, but the whole thing about masculinity is to me, it's like, oh, I don't even think about these things because I was already embedded in a masculine culture in, in the sense of my upbringing was about being more, uh, all of the things that now that they look at, you know, that are, are questionable, you know, or, or some people feel that, they're, that, that, that this, this hyper-masculinity is being pushed. I mean, to hunt, to fish, to learn how to be independent, um, to be raised to be independent. I mean, those are all highly masculine quantities qualities, you know, to be functional, to, 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 um, to be more in control of your emotions, all these sorts of things. I mean, to me, it's just, you know, why is there this whole notion and this whole confusion over uh, genders and all of these things, you know, that are just causing so much grief to people, not allowing, yeah, there's, there's a lot of nuances in, um, in sexuality and they can be accounted for, but they're not, they're not the one. I mean, what's the broadest range? I forget what the science, the science is, but I mean, people will throw science away, you know, before and, and, and throwing beliefs before they'll even utilize the science, you know? That's right. But to me, all this stuff comes down to responsibility. Exactly. If you, if you're living in say, um, 1830 and you're a mountain man, uh, do you have time to worry about whether or not you should have a penis or are you busy trying to survive are you, you know, are you busy trying to harvest some furs to go sell at the um, meetup and then, you know, head back to the mountains and make sure your squaw exactly. is tending your hides? And, you know, and the squaw, you know, the, the frontiers woman, she's not worried about whether or not her man is being sensitive enough or whether he's communicating his feelings. She's worried about whether she and her children are going to be able to survive with the meat that he's putting on the table. You know, Jeremiah Johnson. One it's, of my favorite movies. <laughs> and, and it's fine. You know, it's wonderful that we live in a world of such opportunity and such safety and things, but we should not be forgetting or forsaking the fact that the reason that we live in this world is because of the sacrifices and the hard work and the owning of responsibility of those that came before us. And they didn't build this incredible world that we live in only for us to... Um, disrespect and disregard all the sacrifices they made and become a weak, soft, complaining bunch of people. If you look, if you have disagreements with traditional masculinity or you have disagreements with uh, homosexuality or you have disagreements with this and that, that's not the point. What, why do you spend your time worrying about things like that when you should be spending your time taking advantage of the endless and limitless opportunities to create the life that you want to live. That's what's so confusing to me. It's like, okay, just because you can have anything doesn't mean you should try to have everything. And further, just because you can have anything doesn't mean that all those options are appropriate. You, you pick the things that are important to you and you pursue those things and you live your life. And if someone infringes upon you in a very real and meaningful way, something should be done about that. But That's right. to, to spend your time on the internet yelling at people or complaining at people or trying to bring people down because they lift weights and don't want to cry in front of you or, <laughs> or, or because, or because they don't lift weights and, and, um, like to have sex with other men. It's like, who cares? 
Why do you care? I sure as hell don't. I don't. Yeah, it's like, whatever you do in your bedroom, that's, I don't care. As long as it's consenting adults, you're good to go. I don't care. And why, why would anybody exactly. care? You know, why, you, why would we want to talk about it, you know? So that being said, let's get to some real cool stuff here because I'm, I'm, I'm ready now to uh, pick your brain and for us to explore a discussion about sustainability. And I'll tell you where I am. And I think, you know, I was thinking uh, I should put some of this information out there for people anyway, because there may be people that have options that have options now and need to know locations where um, they can uh, proceed with a plan. So what I'll do is just to start is I'll give you my vision for a few things and, and where I am in the in the development of that vision, and we'll go from there. And then we'll talk about specifics about what you know about different types of systems and so forth involving um, both the growing of food and the processing of waste and the generation of electricity and so on and so forth, which, I mean, those are the fundamental aspects. You know, and then water, of course, you have to have access to water. So here's what I did. I started looking for land about a year ago. Um, I had a couple of toys. I like Jeeps. So I, I, I had a Jeep that's been sitting in my garage forever, and I only use it to – I built it myself, and I used to use it to go really uh, – on really cool off-road trips. But I looked at that thing, and I thought, you know what? I don't need any more toys. I need one vehicle. I don't need two vehicles. My focus now is on developing this entire vision that I have, which – incorporates all dimensions of being a human being so i sold it <clears throat> got a you know because i mean i got exactly what i wanted and ready to i've got it gives me enough towing capacity so i can tow uh, a decent sized trailer and it takes care of all my needs so i'm done with that so i took that money and i put it aside and i thought you know just start looking for some land so i went to um a couple of places that i was interested one is called patagonia it's a beautiful area. It's only about where I live right now. It only it's only about uh, what 35, 40 miles, 50, whatever. It's you know an hour hour drive. And then there's another area called Cochise Stronghold, um, and it's about an hour and a half from my hour and 20 minutes, whatever, for 80 miles from where I live right now. Um, and remind me to bring the home that I'm living in into play in the sustainability, just so we you see what we're talking about here. Um, so I started looking for this land and I went out there to Cochise Stronghold and I went to Patagonia and I love Patagonia and there was a lot of lots, you know, about two and a half acre lots near the lake. There's a nice little lake there, um, but it's, it's very small. Um, I love the, the, the terrain in Patagonia. Um, turn this off. It's, uh, it's beautiful, lush, green, uh, so forth. And Available, reasonable price acreage, maybe around for two and a half acres, maybe, what was it, 20, 20, 30 grand, somewhere in there, something, you know, very reasonably priced. However, it's under the jurisdiction of a different code. I'm in construction, I'm in engineering, so I know the code variables and so forth. And so there's simply more restrictions out there. Every, you know, this is, that's another thing we can talk about. You talk about government. And zoning, how they come up with this. I, I made a comment about this the other day. So we was talking about building, you know, property zoning, building zones, so on and so forth. It's like, how do you come up with this shit? You know, in some locations, especially if it's far enough away, but we'll get into that. But anyway, 
the restrictions out there were too. I didn't like the restriction. I had to build, had to be a certain number of square feet, had to be a certain type of construction. I'm not going to battle over the shit. Yeah, I could conform my notions to implement that, but then I still got a, a, a hammer over my head for even for inspections and so forth, you know, during the construction process. So I, so I, and, and plus it was, I wanted to find something that was doable for a wide range of, of people. That's why I called it a prototype for humanity. Because I'm just saying, if you can find, if you can find uh, something that's more affordable and still provides all of the capacity that you want, then that would be fantastic. So I went back. I'd already been out to uh, Cochise Stronghold, and I I liked it in some ways, but there was a property right next to this land I was looking at, and there was a freaking dead cow out there, and there was, you know, all this other stuff laying around on this one property and I thought well it's kind of you know even though it's close and just the location of that piece of property and it was only it was still two at two acres but long story short to get where I am I just I I had to do a meeting with a group of my guys up in the mining project and so I, I went I called a realtor and I went back out there because this guy lived out there he's a guy I think he's your age He's a young realtor that actually lived out there, and he's into sustainability. He's got like 60 chickens, and you know he sells real estate. And he does what he needs to do to live out there. So he took me out, and we looked at this property. Well, long story short, now I found 6.33 acres, so three contiguous, approximately two-acre lots. You know, 6.33 acres. They're all contiguous properties with an absolutely gorgeous view of, I forget what the, what these mountains are called there. Anyway, it's Cochise Stronghold, and it's only three miles from Cochise Stronghold. Well, you're at about 4,000 feet elevation there. They get a lot of rain, uh, it's beautiful country, and you're, in, you're into the, you know all these beautiful hiking trails and so on and so forth. And the interesting thing about it, just to tie in links, I, I met a guy on uh, here on Twitter, Jared, Jared James, and he uh, introduced me, so to speak. He, he brought up a name, uh, Kuladasa, who is a neuroscientist and a Buddhist practitioner. They have a community out there at Cochise Stronghold. I didn't know anything about it, but that community is also open to bring in other religious traditions and so forth. So I'm, I'm hoping that once I go start meeting some people there, I'm looking. I would like to participate in essentially providing teaching from my perspective, from the traditions that all ties into the book I'm writing because the book is my resume. I'm writing the book because I'm saying here, here's my resume. Okay. Um, but so I got 6.33 acres, but listen to this. I got that land for $12,500, 6.33 acres. Easily, easy to put a well on. There's already power close enough if I want to utilize it. I don't really, but it's always nice to have backup. Absolutely. You know, if you have that availability. And it's 6.33 acres. And it's freaking gorgeous. Got a lot of, you know, smaller type trees and so forth, which is indicative of the fact that water may not be as deep. Some of those mesquite trees, they have a taproot that goes down about 100 feet. So if you see a lot of mesquite trees on a piece of property, it kind of gives you an indication that, you know, they're at least getting enough water to survive. You may need to go down, you may need to go 300 feet. But some of the guys I talked out there, I mean, you're looking at about 
20 grand, 25 grand, depending on the system you want to put in to put a well in. And that's, you know, maybe you're talking, you might have to go 500 feet. I don't know. But they're, they're saying that they've been putting in wells out there uh, for about 20 grand at 500 feet. So I don't know if you, need, you may not need to go that deep. The water tables can fluctuate significantly, you know, over thousands of feet, you know, 500 feet, whatever. I mean, you, you got a little rise, a little shallow, whatever it is. But so I've got the land. Now I have much less restrictions out there. I can do something creative. I also have that much land where I can create more of like uh, whether uh, I'll find out all of the legalities and what is the what is the most um, efficient approach uh, and, the, and and provides me with the most options in terms of developing the land. I'm trying sure. to buy other, so I'm trying to buy two more acres right now. It's not for sale, but I'm having these realtors send out a you know query letter and say you know would you be interested in selling this land? This guy here just bought six acres. So I want four quadrants there, which will give me eight acres. That's all I want. And I'm done with that. You know, because I probably, I don't know what I can get it for, but either way, I'm willing to pay something for it. Um, so then we get to the construction. So you need to put a, I need to put a well in, but I'm not living, you know, I'm not going to be living out there right now. I don't want to put a well in uh, with, with, depending on what type of uh, electrical, uh, you know, system I need to put in. I'm trying. I would like to be able to develop this when somebody's at least living out there, because you're going to get vandalism, and it's not it's not providing me any any value for the dollar if I'm not out there utilizing. So I, you know, I'm trying to coordinate this over time to where I can I would be able to get it all done, and whether or not I have uh, develop a partnership with somebody or whatever it is, somebody that would be able to be on the property, so on and so forth. You know. Um, but construction-wise, I like, and, and I've been kicking this back and forth, whether it's a hexagon or an, a sexagon, I'm sorry, or an octagon, eight or six-sided. I like the six-sided. Um, I'm tending towards towards that. And then I, I, I want to do like a modular, uh, talk to a modular component fabricators, people that are involved in, in creating um, systems in which what you would do is you, you would, and I didn't finish the thought, as far as you can design it with a certain square feet, you know, whatever you're looking at. And then I want an, as far as I'm, what I want is an observation tower. I've got a big telescope and it's the night skies out there are amazing. And I think it would be a really cool feature to have in a home where you have like an observation tower, sort of family, get, get you know, friends, family, uh, an observation tower with, with like a fireplace, whatever. You get the, 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 the drift. And then on the exterior, I want wraparound decks, you know. And so you can, you can go up. So you've got a two-story structure of various uh, variable square footage depending on need. You want to design it so that it can be readily expanded. In other words, if somebody comes in and says, man, I really like this whole design, but I need 2,000 square feet. I, I, you know, I, I can't go with the 1,200 or whatever. Now, I'm looking at it from a minimal, minimalist perspective, too. I want this design. You, I don't know how long you've been in construction, but it's amazing how much functionality you can put into small square, small square footage, you know. Because our homes are designed, most of these homes are designed in such a way they waste so much space, it's unbelievable. For sure. Because yeah. you've got all of these walls all over the place. 
you don't have, you know, the more walls you have, the more complexity you're adding. How much, how many, how many partitions do you need in a structure to give you that sense? Depending on what your lifestyle is, you want some flexibility. So what if you had, if, if, if these interior walls are not bearing, well, you can add interior walls how you want. You know, I mean, you can do all kinds of cool things. It just goes on and on once you start talking modular and you, and high quality materials. I mean, so my vision is you, you go out there and um, post, I don't know, are you familiar with what post-tensioning is? Do you know what, you know what post-tensioning is? Post-tensioning? Post-tensioning. Foundation no. post-tensioning. Okay, very simple. It's essentially a system of uh, high tensile strength cables that act like reinforcing that that are set up in a, in a, in a pattern, usually a very simple grid. So, you know, what on the, on the spacing. So let's say they're every two foot on center as a grid, both ways. When you're talking about it, essentially, let's just call it, you know, a sexagon, a, a circle with angles, um, then that's easily designed. These, these cables go through to the end of the slabs and then they project out. And then there's a set of what's called grippers that when this tendon is, it's a tendon, it's called a tendon, it's stretched. And then once it reaches a certain pressure, these grippers, there's a, there's a device that fits on the cable and it pulls the cable. And then when it gets to a specific uh, load rate, grippers, this, these little jaws come out, push the grippers into this grommet that holds that cable for the life of the slab. And what it does is it makes the slab act as a unit. It's like conventional reinforcing but it's cheaper because you don't have to use as, as, uh, as much steel, you know? Um, now for me, I mean, that's an option. And typically you're gonna use that in where you have some issues with the soils. If the soils are highly expansive or collapsible, um, then you're gonna use a specific type of design that will um, accommodate that. So that's, the, I, I wouldn't know exactly what, what I would choose to do on these slabs based, I would actually go conventional reinforcing just because I like it. I like to see that solidity. I don't want to play around with pulling cables. Sometimes they break, whatever. I'm just saying I, I would, if, to do my own home, I'd just make it, a, it'll, act, it'll do the same thing. And I'm not going to worry about soils anyway, because that's part of my business. I know what to do with the soils to treat them and I'm not, not going to have any issues. Most of the issues that people have with, with soils and so forth are caused by uh, bad preparation up front of, of the soils themselves, and then they wind up allowing all their drainage or close around the foundations around the house. And if they have collapsible or, or highly uh, expansive soils, you'd be amazed what expansive soils uh, can do to a structure. I mean, I've been on uh, Indian reservations where they had a whole housing development put in and these contractors didn't give a damn about reading the geotechnical report. They did what they wanted. And you have two to three inch gaps in the ceiling plates. You know, it's just pulling itself up. It's all of this tweaking. It's this yeah. portion of forces just moving this building all around. But anyway, that's essentially what I'm, what I would, the next step for me would be is, is working uh, and developing information about fabricators that would be willing to do a design. They may already have it. For all I know, I may find a, a, a company that's already doing this. You know, but as an example, in terms of how much money you can save with the right 
construction are not just saved. How, uh, how much you need so much less power generation if you have the right right meaning structures that are tailored to the environment that they're going to be built in. So I just as an example, and then I want to hear some some from you. Um, I live in, I bought a new house here about two years ago in, in Tucson. It's in a little community called Savannah. And Savannah is one of the few so-called green communities um, in Tucson. They it's it, it's really cool little village environment. It's got a little coffee shop and built a small business sector in, in, in the heart of it with a bed, a couple of bed and breakfasts. Um, you know, and, but it's really, it's, it's like, you wouldn't imagine that you're walking around in Arizona. This reminds me of a little, I don't know. Uh, it's just more like a little village community. It's got a real nice feel to it, blah, blah, blah. But uh, this house is built by a company called Pepper Viner. And, and I just, I'm using, using this because I want to show you how, what happens when you just, especially in Arizona. This is a two-story house built with two by sixes. It's about 1,650 square feet. Granted, I'm the only one that lives here. That needs to be taken into consideration. But I have, what I've been doing is I just live my life and then I look at what I'm generating. How much am I using to live? I'm not, you know, I'm not turning off lights. I just live the way I live, man. But I'm a very minimalist type guy and I'm very conscious of my environment and very conscious of what's on, what's not on. I just do it naturally. If I walk by a light and I'm not using this, it's off. But regardless of that, in the summer, it gets about 110 here, you know, sometimes hotter, but I mean, it's hot during the whole course of that summer. My electric bill in the summer is only about $120. In the winter, it's like $60. I use about 14, between 14 and 1500 gallons of water a month. That's all it. Now, like I said, I... I manage a business, but I'm, you know, I'm whatever, five hours, six hours, whatever it is, I'm there at literally at the office because I work from home a lot too. I mean, the only reason I go to the office is essentially get get a feel for what's going on each day in terms of, you know, my, my people. But I've got it took me a long time, but I got some great people now. Once you get people in positions that can duplicate a function that you were doing reliably and proficiently. Then you're good to go, man. So, and then the only reason I go in is a computer, so I'm able to stay here. So I'm just saying, in terms of how much uh, time I'm actually in the in the home, yeah, it's it's less than if you had a family or whatever. But I'm saying, just with a two by six construction, triple pane, solar windows, um, it's got a like I said, two story, so it's got a it's got a seamless metal roof, and then part of it's built up roof, you know. So metal roof on part of it, steel roof. But even, but even with that, and I have no solar. You know, I'm not using solar. If I could, uh, they, and that was another thing. There we go back to legislation. You would think that based on if you have a a, a notion of what the goal is, which is sustainability for the planet, then profitability becomes secondary. So why do these power companies put their hands around the throats of entrepreneurial solar companies that will bring solar in? And that I'd be more than happy to do it if I could sell power back to the grid because I could sell quite a bit of power back to the grid. Well, now you you know you can't do this and you can't do that. So that the whole notion of the way struck you know the way infrastructures meaning meaning uh, even 
uh, legislative infrastructures are created and business infrastructures in terms of what you can and can't do and how corporations get their hands around the throats of everybody, you know, because they're not looking at it from a, they're not, you know, this is my tribe, this is my corporation, and I'm all about profitability. Well, that's great. I want you to make a profit. How much profit do you need to make? As, you know, public utilities, uh, all of these companies. See, this is, and it gets into a very interesting thing because it goes back to that notion that I talked about, altruistic capitalism. If my motives are such that I want to make a very, you know, a handsome profit, but I also want to contribute back to the entirety of the planet, then it's going to make a difference how much I'm going to put back in because I'm looking, I got a bigger vision. My vision's expanded. It's not just about profitability. It's about the totality of what's going on, not just in my city, or, you know, you can start with the city or your family, the city you live in, the town you live in. It's all nested, you know, all of these spheres of influence, the state, the country, the world. And so all of these are inter interfacing. They're interfacing, interacting all the time. They're like, if, the other night I was thinking about, um, it, imagine a crystal clear, absolutely crystal clear ocean and that of infinite, infinite expansive geometry. So, and then you envision a single drop falling on this infinite expanse and it sends out all these ripples. And then you imagine it begins to rain instead of just a single drop. Now you've got all these drops coming down all the time, but it's still, and this is what I'm talking about when I talk about consciousness. When I talk about consciousness, I'm talking about the clarity of vision that can be enacted, that can be received, so to speak, or that can, or that emerges, whatever language you want. Once you're finished with all the bullshit, once you're finished with the search, even the, you know, the spiritual search, or, even, or, or the much more mundane search with, about money, food, and sex, once, if you go through that whole process, this is my experience. When you're willing to engage in the totality of that process, or you're essentially you're uh, catapulted into it for fuck knows whatever reasons, which is, you know, I mean, it, you, some people do have unusual lives, then you, you get, there's this, what happens is, and this is only happening, this emergence within me has only happened in the last year. The because I went through so many different stages and I thought, you know what? <laughs> I, I can simply live this life just the way I'm living it. I'm fine. Everything's fine. And then I started meeting people and I started engaging more. And then this whole thing came to life because it's you. When I say you, it's all of you that will pull what you're seeing out of me. Without you, I have no function. Don't give a fuck. I can go do what I want out there on the land, find a, a lady or two and enjoy my life. I don't have to contribute or do anything. If that's what was the case. And that's what I'm saying about function. Function arises when there is something that is pull, is demanding it. So right now you see where we are, man. And you know, and, and, and what we can uh, what we can envision and what we can actually do. If we cooperate with each other, if we go beyond all of these surface features of what we see ourselves as personalities, we all got personalities. That's what makes it fun. I like personalities. 
You know what I'm saying? Personality plus. It's personality plus all the time. Do and be who the fuck you want to be. I'm, I love that. I mean, that's like going to a good movie every day. But, you know, a lot of characters in our movies, they're just not that pleasant. You know, you don't want to deal with them. You don't want to watch that movie anymore. You know? That's right. And so we, want to, we want to find people. This is my, 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 if you want to create a prototype for humanity, it must be incarnated in totality. It's not just a fucking, you know, idea. It's not just philosophy about, oh, how we could get along. It's the doing of it. It's the doing of it. Well, what do you need to do that? You have to find people that you're willing to create community with. If you, don't right. want, if you don't want to do that, then you're full of shit as far as I'm concerned. You're not willing to take the risk. You want to sit back and think about it, but you're not allowing yourself or pushing yourself out there, so to speak, because you're not ready in here, so to speak. Once you get to that place, I mean, to me, that's what I see. I want I want the vision that I have because I know it's a good vision. I know that what I want, what I'm motivated by, is good. When you feel that in the depths, nothing can stop you because you know you're not going to fuck with anybody. That's right. You're there to protect and to serve. And when you have that, that sense of everything that's happened in your life, contributing to this point where now you're going to go to the next. You see, I like this little image because it goes through. It's also an image of time. But once you are completely full, you begin to empty. You begin to empty. And then it grows broader and broader and broader. So that the apex, in other words, we, we tend to think of pyramid schemes. If you envision a pyramid and then envision another one inverted with its point touching the other apex, so that like a, like a time, like the sense of time, then all of that that comes to a point, this is the hierarchy of needs. What happens in the hierarchy of needs once you get to the top? Where does it go? It's got to go back into everything and every, you know, the totality of the process. And so that is a living thing. How does that living thing get demonstrated? Well, through what we're doing today. There's nothing else I can do but talk to people. And if they see something, if they hear something, meaning if it resonates with them, then that becomes the meme. Then they say, hey, this guy I've been talking to, same, same with you. I can say the same thing about you. So, uh, it's easy for me to say, I like you. You know why I like, one of the reasons that I liked you immediately was because of our little interaction up front. And the way, there, was no hes, there was no hesitation in you, none. There was no, when I confronted you, there was no hesitation. Boom, you got it. That's impressive, my friend, because with that, you can move. Sure. Most people are going to sit around and go, well, I don't know. What about this? What about that? Look at this. That could happen. This could happen. Oh, no. Let's be careful. You know, but, but no, the demand that life makes on us brings about our response. If our response is to hesitate and to question, which are all good, but there's a point that you reach, so to speak, where you begin to recognize when righteous demands so to speak are placed on you and you either respond or you don't 
And if you're still in that stuck in that split in that space where you're going, well, I don't know, man, you know, then that's where you are. You're still in I don't know land, you know. Yeah, you know, for me, this kind of I look at I look at this kind of thing like this. Okay, we talked about training wheels a little bit before. That's you know the difference between an adult and a child is the ability to admit that you're wrong and think on your feet in, in large part. Okay. You know, I have a vision. What am I doing to bring it about? Am I just talking about it? I mean, talking is important, but am I acting? Um, when I'm acting, what are my metrics that I'm measuring by? Do I have the principles? Do I have the understanding of what I'm even trying to achieve so that I can measure whether or not I'm achieving it? And if not, if I'm doing things wrong, what am I going to do about that? Am I going to feel sorry for myself and keep doing it? Am I going to try something new? Am I going to invest a little bit of time to research this specific aspect so that I can, you know, because people can often get lost in the research. Okay, I want to I want to live a green life, so I'm going to study solar panels, and I'm going to study water management, and I'm going to study gardening, and I'm going to study wearing uh, special shoes that are made out of things that are never, uh, you know, damaging the environment, and I'm going to study ecology, and I'm going to study pollution and then you, you spend the rest of your life studying and meanwhile you're living the same destructive life that your neighbors live in and you're bitching yeah. them about it or <clears throat> you know it's like okay i'm gonna do one thing i'm gonna pick one thing right now that really bugs me okay it bugs me that i can't go to the grocery store and buy good vegetables it tastes like shit you know my grandma had vegetables they tasted really good i pulled them right from the garden and that carrot was delicious i go yeah, to the store exactly. buy a carrot it tastes like cardboard what can i do about that well, it turns out all I got to do to grow carrots is have some loose soil and chuck some seeds on it and keep them moist for a minute, and you're good. Okay, now I'm growing carrots. Oh, this carrot didn't work out. <laughs> you know, like, okay. Yeah. And some of it's that simple. Some of it's more complex. But, you know, if you don't choose in to building the vision that you can see, you stop seeing it. You know, like, I've been gifted with the vision. I have a vision that's, that's uh, similar to yours in a lot of respects. You know, I have I – have, I have things that I'm doing now that are building towards creating something more for myself and for my family and then replicating that process as appropriate all over the world, you know, taking certain fundamental principles and building around those to create a sense of um, home and community and thriving life where people can get what they need from their surroundings rather than trying to find them here or find them there or find them across the world on the internet, or find them in the video game, or find them in the stuff that fucks you up, the stuff that breaks you. There's so many things that break you that offer you a little bit of peace or solace or enjoyment for a minute, and then they break you forever after. And I've had my experiences with those things. That's why I get in, I get in these conversations with people, and I can tell they don't know what they're talking about, because they want to argue with me about the nature of truth, or about the nature of these destructive tendencies, and they want me to... Um, you know, change my position to one of more acceptance of these things. Like, well, you don't know the person, you don't know the circumstances. It's like, no, but I know the character of what they're doing because I've lived it. I know the difference between destruction and production. I know the difference between right and wrong because I've chosen wrong and I've seen the patterns and I've seen it in enough people. I've seen people die, I've seen people murder, I've seen people suicide, I've seen people go to prison. I've been close to all those things myself. I know the character of these things the character of these things is consistent. The character of all things is consistent. And the things that you invite into your life have an influence. And if the more room that you make for things that break you in your life, the more broken you become. And the more broken you become, the harder it is to put the pieces back together. The enormity of the task 
that's and that ties into what we were talking about a little bit before the enormity of the task of putting yourself together if you're incredibly broken is daunting and seems impossible and most people won't choose to do it you know from my own experience i'm a very strong-willed person i always have been it's always been i see a thing i'm going for it. i'm doing this fuck you if you get in my way and I've had to learn to temper that a little bit because, you know, I've learned I'm not always right. In fact, I'm, I'm wrong pretty often. Yeah, it, it happens, doesn't it? <laughs> or at least important pieces I'm wrong about. You know, maybe I'm moving in the right direction, but I don't have the right tool or I don't have quite the right concept or the application. That's something I've had to learn is, okay, uh, choose in and believe, but be humble enough and honest enough to admit when you're wrong. And But, so, like, if you don't, if you don't learn to distinguish the character of the things that you're doing, if you don't learn to establish whether or not this thing is serving your vision or working against it, if you don't learn to establish whether or not this person has a place in your life, is a place in your vision, is contributing or not, and learn to cut the ties, if you can't be selective, if you can't make judgments about what it is the life that you want to live, and if you can't see the true character of some of these ubiquitous things out there that are destroying people and you want to make allowances for it, then you're going to be stuck. You know, there's the time for analysis comes when you run into an obstacle that you don't know how to get around. It's, it's just like money. It's just like information. They're all the same. It's like money is not the goal. Money is to fund the goal. Money is just a, is a collection of energy. It's a collection of power. And you can unleash that wherever you want. But it's not the, the collection, the gathering of power is not the goal. You gather the power to accomplish the goal. And so many people have that twisted. What is your vision? I mean, we're talking about sustainable buildings and stuff. It's like, okay, well, um, <clears throat> let's take water, for example, because this is one that really frustrates me a lot. Okay. You can do earthworks so that you have a berm on contour or a ditch on contour. And whenever water enters the property, it collects behind that berm or in that ditch on contour, a swale, and it seeps into the ground so that whenever water enters your property, it seeps into the ground. It doesn't just run off. You know, it doesn't run into the streets and get collected in the sewers. It, it seeps into the property or you can guide that on a small angle into a pond and then the pond has an overflow which feeds into another ditch or berm which feeds okay and then what are you growing on the berms well turns out on the downside of the berms if you grow trees that need a lot of water like fruit trees and stuff well now suddenly though any water that comes is feeding those fruit trees and then it feeds into the pond stock the pond with fish grow aquatic plants on the pond how are you using the edges okay well now i have this water coming from my house it's gray water it's dishwater it's it's bath water it's laundry water well it turns out i don't have to run that into the sewer system i can harvest that gray water and reuse it on my property because none of the stuff that's in there um is damaging to my property especially if i run it through say a reed bed first to let the biological action clean it up a little bit for me well what about all this black water What's it made out of? Well, it's made out of a lot of nitrogen. What can I do with nitrogen? Well, that's fertilizer. Well, how can I make sure I can use it right? Well, age the fertilizer and treat it. How can you treat it? Or, you know, there's gases. What can I use those gases for? Cooking. Well, if I build this concrete structure that has a dome and has a gas pipe leading out of it and I pour all my 
uh, black water into there. Well, the gas is off gas. I collect those off gases and I cook it in my outdoor stove. And then I run it through a series of reed beds. It cleans up the water. And by the time it finishes with the fifth or sixth reed bed and feeds into my system, it's crystal clear and pure enough to drink. Okay, so now I don't have to rely on a sewer. I don't have to rely on city management to clean up my water. And every bit of water that comes into my property is utilized to the utmost before it ever leaves. And if I have sufficient property, well, and sufficient angle on the property, if I'm collecting water here and here and here and here, by the time I get down here, guess what? I have springs now. I have natural springs popping out of my property because the lens of water sitting underneath my property has too much now to hold and it's leaking out. Great, now I have crystal clear spring water because I'm living on a mountain side and I've been cutting in harvesting selections or sections yeah. and, and now the, and now the uh, water has been stored. In fact, there's a place in Arizona, it's out in the middle of the desert and they cut these or they put in these berms on contour during the depression. It's one of those put America to work doing whatever projects. Who are you talking about? Um, you know, I'm not clear on the exact location there's a video of it that um this guy named jeff lawton made and he's a he's involved in what's called permaculture which is a subject yeah, exactly. that is very near and dear to my heart but he's made these series of videos and one of them he goes out into into the desert in arizona and i don't remember exactly where but he shows these these berms that were put on contour during the depression and he's walking from the desert okay so here's your berm right you have this like berm right here and he's walking from the desert and there's cactus and there's et cetera, et cetera. And he walks up to the top of the berm and then the camera pans around and you see trees and grass and this lush paradise because all the water over the years has just settled and soaked into that location and created, you know, he reaches into the ground and just brings out handfuls of loamy soil. It's at least a foot down. And nobody planted anything there. Nobody stocked it with seeds. They just cut berms into the ground and left them to give people something to do. And now it's paradise on one side of this berm. And all oh, that was ever done. Design. Exactly. And and there's there's so many more ways that you can engage in that process as a way to design your environment to maximize the things that you're trying to get out of it. And and meanwhile, um, if I try to put in a gray water system in a city. I'm going to be breaking code. Uh, you know, like a lot of, a lot of cities, if you try to uh, reroute your gray water back into your property, that's breaking the law and you can get fined. Um, this, this land I got, you would either have to put in a septic system or you have to uh, have a, you can have an individual uh, aerobic system design. You know, it just orange pits. You're always talking money, of course. You know, a septic system you probably put in for less than 10 grand. But then you're, you know, you're going to be using. I mean, that water is going to go out and aerate, you know, specific area. Uh, and I don't know all of the ramifications of that and how it could be utilized. But you're talking about an area where you're receiving exactly that black. You know, it's been treated somewhat, but I mean, it's black water that's flowing uh, in, into this, you know, essentially manifold of drainage lines that get it into the soil and then it evaporates so it's a evapotranspiration pond it's not a pond but i mean that's essentially what you're doing right so we could utilize that i mean and that's no problem out there that's what you put in there is no sewer out there you know there is no public sewer system and these are the kind of things that it's like 
it doesn't have to be all the things, you know, you have your environment, you have your regulations, you have, you have your set of ingredients that you're working with, but you have to ask yourself, what, what is the life I'm trying to live and what am I working with? And water, the reason I harp on water so much is because the things required to make efficient use of water are very simple and they're long lasting and, and they're not being done. And it's, it's like, it's, it's peak foolishness. You know, for example, a person who has a half an hour a day and a half acre of land can produce more than half their own food for a year on that land with just efficient use of water and a little bit of time every day to manage the food sources, especially if you're using There's a process of creation called a food forest. And essentially, you're creating a forest system of integrated layers, you know, so you have your canopy layer and you have your short tree layer and you have your shrubbery layer, et cetera, et cetera. And in each one of those layers, you're trying to develop relationships of useful plants and useful, you know, useful um, characters that contribute to what you're trying to do, but also live in a symbiotic relationship with the whole environment. So a food forest provides you food, provides you building materials, provides you medicines, provides habitat for animals, provides uh, beauty, provides enjoyment. You know, you're trying to stack functions to the highest degree possible that you can in the space that you have with the time that you have, because the most efficient inputs give you the most efficient outputs. And if I can take a half an hour and walk through a food forest and trim a branch here and harvest some food there and uh, make sure that, um, and it's, it's also placement too, you know, like the stuff you want to interact with most should be closest to where you're going to be most often. So you have the zones of application. And so when like you're looking at it from a construction aspect and, you know, I've thought and, and researched on that end and I've worked in a lot of different trades and stuff too, but I always look at these things from a systems and that's excellent. That's exactly what needs to be approached. And, and but it's also excellent that you're that you're thinking like, okay, well, I'm this is what I'm going to build because I build stuff. I mean, I make things. I, I have an idea, and it's like, okay, how could I make that into a reality? And then I set about doing it. Um, but then I want like once I figured it out, I want to hire somebody to keep doing it. I want to be figuring out the next system or the next improvement because that's my that's my gig. You know, like okay, I've made it. I've made this invention where I've, I've put together this system and, you know, I've pulled from all the best parts I could find. And I think this is as good as I can get it right now. Now I've made it. I've proved the concept. Now go. Cause I got other systems to figure out. Cause you didn't figure it out. I did. Cause I, you know, that's my talent. Okay. Putting together a system. What makes sense? What are you trying to get? How can I get the, the most efficiently? Once I've got that down, I don't have to worry about that system anymore. And if I've designed the system well enough, it's not going to require a lot of work to maintain anyway. That's it. You know, if your system isn't resilient, it's not a good system. If your system requires a ton of inputs all the time, it's not a good system. It's not efficient. Right. And that system's going to be tweaked according to the environment that it's going to be uh, utilized in, you know? Exactly right. And that's going to tie right back into the type of materials you're going to use and the, and the appropriate use of materials. And that's precisely what I do is, you know, construction materials, um, testing, quality control, so on and so forth. That's all combined with these engineering services as well as all the geotechnical aspects. And, and sure, you just call it the civil engineer and you, and you design uh, specific grades 
you know, to accommodate the, the flow based on the, the annual rainfall and so forth. And that's another thing that ties right in with what I was talking about, where this land that I got, the rainfall, uh, I have to pull it back up again, but I think it's around 30 inches a year. It's a lot more rainfall than I am right here in Tucson. Maybe it's only uh, eight or nine, you know. And you see it when you go out there because in the summer you get a lot of those beautiful thunderstorms that come through and everything turns turns green, you know. And, and yeah. Think of all that water and how you can put it into tank, whether you can store it and then retreat it, or you have a whole system that accommodates the flow to distribute the resource without wasting any of it. That's the goal of a of any you know uh, precision system. You know. That's right. And, you know, there's a, there's a phrase from permaculture that I really love. The problem is the solution. Yes. It's, it's, uh, it's your perspective. You know, if you don't have enough water, say, um, well, what is it about your environment that's special that you can leverage that towards? You know, so it's not necessarily I don't have water. It's these are the things about an environment with limited water that I can leverage to my advantage. Or if you have too much water, let's say you're living in a swamp. Okay, well... What are the things about a swamp that it offers uniquely that I can leverage to my and, advantage? And that, that ties right back to where we were going. I mean, this has been a great, this, you know, we're having a good conversation. It ties right back into what, we, what I started with close to the beginning about asking questions. A problem is just a question. A problem is a question. What's a problem? It's, a, it's asking you a question. I have this circumstance. What can I do about it? How can I, how can I cooperate? Not fight the certain. You don't fight this. You know, you're not fighting the certain. You're, you're looking at it going, ah, you know. Again, it goes back to the concept of martial arts and and and, and judo and karate and and so forth. When you're moving, you know, you're not resisting at all times. If you stand like a freaking tree and get punched in the face, that's your problem. You know, you need to be on the move. You need to adapt. You need to be. You need to be like a tree. You know, in the wind. You know, and adapt to it and see that the problem is indeed the solution because you're utilizing the forces that arise and you're, you're managing them. You're managing the forces that are arising within a specific environment. You're directing force. That's exactly what you're doing. You're the manager, you see, and that all ties back into the archetype. What are you doing? If you have a vision I'm gonna ask you. I'm gonna ask the question, and you think about it. Because I need to go to the bathroom for a moment because I just drank a lot of coffee. Um, <laughs> if you, let's say you, your vision, you have this incredibly inclusive vision that just goes into all of these, all the system analysis. And I posted something the other day about if you saw, if you've ever seen the movie Contact, that's probably my favorite movie of all time because I see so much in the totality of the script. It, it, it is such a fantastic story. I don't know, most of us don't know what we're writing when we write it and where it's going to go. Because just like Carl Sagan, one of my favorite scientists, um, wrote Contact, and then you look at Contact and watch that clip I posted the other day. If you haven't seen it, go ahead and watch it. You'll, you'll, you'll get what I'm talking about. But again, if you have this amazing vision and you are in a, in a mind a group of minds because it's not just one mind it's mind itself that's arising within this context just like we have a global brain we're all making these connections at simultaneously 
there's a group of us, so to speak, however many that is, hundreds, thousands, I have no idea, but they connect online through a global brain and they begin discussing their vision and what they're seeing is incredibly similar, isn't it? And what does that tell you? So, but if you have that vision, this group of people, here's my question. What would you call a group of people with that type of vision and capacity to perform? I'll be right back. In a mythic sense. You know, Justin's gone to the bathroom. And here I am talking to you, dear listener, dear viewer. We kind of both been rambling on. I'm a rambler. Justin's clearly a rambler. But um, you know, there are there are gaps in things, and it gives you a space to breathe. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> bye. Bye bye. <laughs> so anyway, what do you come up with? What do you what do you, what what word would you use to describe that? Em, em, embodied or incarnated those incarnated powers, both perception and capacity. Hmm. I came up with nothing. Well, we tend to refer to them as gods. Yeah, I mean. That's, it, it, that's what people are so afraid of. People are afraid of being in charge. They don't want to be in charge. They want somebody else to take care of things. And that's, you know, when you go back to Jesus and, and, and ultimately, um, and I'm going to be working more with, with the Gospels because I think it's what's necessary. I think people need to have a much deeper understanding of what can be uh, developed, even though, what I, as I say, the threads are pretty bare in the connective tissue of Christianity because you only got four Gospels and then you got the rest, you know, which were written uh, 70 to 100 years after the death of, of Jesus. And then you have the... Uh, the other, you know, the acts and, 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 and so forth of, of those that later became uh, believers and, and, uh, and then the development of the church and so forth. So, yeah, I mean, it's really amazing that you, all, that you have those just four Gospels. You have four Gospels written that long after the death of the Son of God who chose not to leave anything in his own hand writing. 
apparently, and had very little to say about it because at the same time, Jesus, at the, at Jesus the Christ, which the Christ means the anointed one. So you have Jesus the man, the son of God who comes to earth and, and becomes the lamb of God, the vicarious sacrifice to bring humanity into another relationship with the divine. And then you see all of these other aspects of how ideas get created from very, very thin assertions. You know, I mean, it's amazing. Somebody says one little, one little thing. One of my favorite scenes is yeah, on the Monty Python uh, movie is, is uh, you know, the life of Brian. And they show this scene where it's supposed to be uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And, and, and they, the camera pans further and further, further back into this crowd of people that are listening to Jesus on, on, the, on the mount. And it gets back to the back, and, and it's, of course, it's, it's British, so it's Monty Python. And so you got this, this is, what did he say? Blessed are the cheesemakers. And that's precisely what happens, because the further sure. you get from the source, the whole nature of the conversation changes, because what did they hear? Somebody heard something. That's not what he said, but it gets taken and create a whole another structure out of it. I mean, it's fascinating and it's frightening at the same time. That's right. And you know, one thing I pointed out in a recent conversation with some of the other guys in the ionosphere is Jesus didn't pick the winners. He didn't pick the brightest and the best. He picked the biggest. <laughs> no, he, he, he I did mean, not. These, these were knuckleheads. These were guys, you know, these were just, uh, these oh, were guys hanging were, out on the beach fishing. These were guys who just, they were, they were, they were warriors too, but they were, they, they were like construction workers in many ways, you know. They yeah. Were, or, you know, like they were blue collar dudes. I mean, Peter was apparently carrying around a sword because he lopped off uh, a, sur a soldier's ear. I mean, what are these guys doing carrying around swords? What happened to all the peace and love? I mean, the characters that he was hanging out with were sinners, tax gatherers, whores, you know, all of the low life of society, so to speak. And he came into, it, the Bible says he came unto his own. Well, okay, we're going to pick this apart. It is Sunday. Let's do a little sermon here, a little impromptu sermon uh, from Karos. So Jesus says, or the Bible says at least, he, and I forgot what book this is in, it might be John, but whatever, somebody can do the chapter verse thing. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But to whomsoever received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons and daughters of God. That's fucking powerful. That one little, you know, whatever, two verses of scripture and so he also arose he came unto his own well what does that mean well jesus was a jew jesus was jewish he arose within judaism he was a prophet meaning not a prophet that foretold the future a prophet has a completely different meaning in the old testament it's about busting people's asses it's about saying look it's about criticizing it's about saying look you bunch of freaking hypocrites you vipers you know, he got up, he went in, why, why would somebody so spiritual go into a temple and overturn money changers when the temple is just the symbol of something higher? Because they were, they disrespect, they were hypocrites. That was the whole thing. You know, it wasn't about some higher interpretation. It was like, you guys uh, deface, defame, and are nothing more than hypocrites and liars, you know. That's right. Else. So he was a highly political figure. And rejected, still rejected. 
the Jews are still waiting for the Messiah. There you have the whole tie-in of all of the uh, Abrahamic religions, Islam, Judaism, Christianity. They all tie in to Abraham, the sons of Abraham. That's right. You know? And, you know, the thing is, Jesus came and he essentially said, you already have within you all the power, all the potential you could ever need to make anything you could ever dream. You just don't believe it. If you did, it would manifest itself. Because when you believe in something truly, you do what it takes to make it so. The fact that you haven't means you don't believe in your power to make it so. The kingdom of God is within you. You know, if you look at like a sacrament of Jesus Christ, Jesus, if Jesus is a representation of God, the eternal father, the one who, um, from, from whom all powers of creation flow. And he is the literal representation of that being on this planet. And he came and opened his veins and let the blood of creation flow. And you drink that blood and you eat that body. What you're doing, what you're doing is taking responsibility for the fact that the power of creation, the same power of creation that created everything is within you. And by taking the sacrament, by taking the spirit of Jesus Christ within you, what you're saying is I have the power to create in the same way that the one who created me has. And now I have to have the vision to stick to it. If you believe in it, you have the power. And that's what people miss. It's like, no, you don't understand. He didn't come here to make excuses for your bad behavior. He came here to point out that you have all the power you need to reverse course and to make the world the one you want to see. It's, you know, Bob Marley's song is very yeah, brilliant. It. You know, Put that one on, man. <laughs> that, that line is so powerful. Most people think great God will come from the sky. Song, it's, but no, you make it. You make it here. Heaven's here. Heaven's here waiting for you. It's in here. Present All you have to do is believe in it. That's it. exactly it. I mean, you, you, could, you could rip off of all that. I mean, you got it as far as I'm concerned. I don't know where, the, where you got it from because there aren't that many people uh, like you that, uh, that see that so uh, clearly and directly because that's precisely it. And that's the whole notion of becoming a son of God. That's what the message is. That's the message that I was involved in, so to speak, when I was in Christianity. I wasn't involved in Christianity because it, simply because of the scriptural dogma. I was involved in Christianity because I had so many different types of direct experiences that over time I began to recognize how they all could be uh, interpreted from a different religious framework, meaning from Buddhism, Hinduism, yoga, Shakti, uh, Kundalini, Christianity, the Holy Spirit, the whole notion of you know, glossolalia. I mean, I can still speak in tongues. And then people will really think I'm insane, you know, because you can do all of these powers can move through an individual and you can have a direct relationship. This whole notion of having a personal relationship with Jesus is not all bullshit at all. It's but that relation. What's interesting is just like you have relationships with people in your life and you see that person from certain perspectives and you project certain uh, qualities upon that person, the more you get to know them, you recognize maybe many, many different qualities that are simply arising at the same time within you. And then you're also seeing your own projections. 
you know, and then when they dissolve, you see that, well, what's there? And again, this ties right back to consciousness and all the rest of it. We sit, and I can make eye contact with you, and what am I looking at? Well, if we're just sitting in silence and we look into one another's eyes and, and, and just allow tension to wander, I mean, what I see is the potential or the existence of clarity. When I look at you, I don't see some fucked up individual. I see God, in other words. I see consciousness. I see both what the present and what actually is behind those eyes. Because when you close your eyes and I close mine, we see the same thing. What is that? Well, you say, well, it's nothing. Well, there's still something that is conscious or aware of the darkness. Or is it darkness? The more you, if you go into deep meditational states, then you can go into, you know, what some, there's many different ways of describing actual experiences that people have, but the phenomena itself is what's important. The fact that, that, People can enter what you could call the we space. This is saying, you know, that we can describe to one another specific experiences and we're both having the same experience. Then you start to refine the language. But when you talk about the causal ground, the ground of being itself is like that, is like a self-luminous field. Then it's not like you, you don't have to believe, I don't believe in God. I live in what, I don't call it God. But I can tell you that there's something that's greater. In other words, that there's something that transcends everything that we see, everything that we are, and it's like a force that is pulling us. That's what it feels like. It feels like something is pulling, you know, this, this process, so to speak, it's being drawn, just like the universe is expanding, doesn't cease to expand. Well, what's it what is it expanding into? It carries, is it carrying its leading edge with it? What is, is there an edge? How could there be, if the universe is expanding, that's just based on our measurements. Suddenly we discover, uh, based on our measurements, that the universe is expanding. Well, it's always been expanding. Just because you discovered it doesn't mean it wasn't expanding before your discovery. That's all, that's what it does. That's the fuck, that's the mystery. That's, this is what's, this is what's uh, absolutely amazing, you know? That we have this creative force that has exponentially increased through global connections, showing us we have the capacity to manage our home. And what are we using it for? Just like you said, <laughs> or you know, pictures of Janet Tolson arguing about gender and you know, I mean, advertising shit. You know, and just, I mean, it's just amazing. It's like here we have this tremendous potential capacity, this whole connective force that is connecting all of us that is, in fact, greater than ourselves. But we sit around talking about God as though God was separate from all of this. And yet, on the other hand, even from a language perspective, what do people say about God? Well, God is omniscient. Okay, well, that means there is no knowledge outside of God. God is omnipresent. Everywhere, all the time. Can't get away. Omnipotent. No power outside of the divine. Well, where does that put you? What are you? Who are you? Ultimately, who are you? That's my question. Goes right back into this process of, of understanding, identity, how it is constructed, so on and so forth. So, which ties right back 
to this whole notion of ego. I get a kick out of all this stuff people talking about egos. You know, you got a big ego. You got a, you know, you don't have, you're not developed yet. Yeah, but this whole notion of ego, ego is simply a functional center. It's the capacity for information to be transmitted through a functional center. Now that center has what we call personality. It has to. There's nothing to appear by, but all of the qualities that are inherent in life. How else are you going to appear? So I like certain kind of clothes. I wear certain, you know, I do certain things. I have a hair, I have a haircut, I have this, I have that. I have a way of expressing myself, blah, blah, blah. I'm a personality. So what? Great. I'm glad that you're different than me because I don't want to fucking look at myself. That's why I like going to the movies. Because I like <laughs> people, I like seeing people dressing up and doing different roles. But if you have that much freedom to choose your role and you simply prefer one role over the other, who cares? I mean. You know, it doesn't matter. None of that matters. To if you're in somebody's company that you that brings to life, and every this again goes right back to what we we're talking about, and what the way I see it, small communities of like-minded people that actually have can get a, not just get along but thrive together. I want to choose who who I'm around, but I miss being around people that I'm connected with. There's that brings more life. That brings more capacity. That form of cooperation is beneficial to everybody involved. When you're with people or, and animals and all the rest of it, connected to nature, and you're just enjoying each other's company, tell me a better experience than that. Yeah, it doesn't get any better. I, I like to call that competitive cooperation. That's what we're working on. That's the, 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 the last part of my life is to, be, is to bring together, to encourage people, and I'm doing it myself here, and who knows how it's going to develop and who's going to be involved. But I want a small group of people in my tribe, so to speak, which I'm part of their tribe too. It's not my tribe. It's a tribe of people that are identified with specific ideas and also have the cooperative capacity and the intelligence to get beyond the usual bullshit. Because it doesn't matter whether you're living in a family or you have an extended family. You still are. It necessitates the development of relationships. And to have the relationships, you each have to be functional individuals capable of calling one another on your bullshit if such bullshit arises at all. But when it does, it can't be put under the rug. You know, it has to be faced in the moment it arises, deal with it, move on. There's nothing, if you're not at that place yet, then you're going to get involved in a community. And, you know, it doesn't matter if you. I live in a community right here. I know my neighbors. I go shoot pool with my one of my neighbors next door. I my the other guy that lives next to me is about your age. He comes over and we, we do shit together. I help him, he helped, you know, we're there. But I'm not it, it's not the same as having uh, a real close relationship with somebody that you're that like you and I, you're 33 and I look, you know, I mean honestly, man. I'm amazed at the way you're, you're thinking. And yeah, you sound, I didn't have a lot of high crime when I was a kid, or whatever your crimes were. But if I would have done the things that I did as a teenager now, I'd probably still be in jail because, you know, I did some wild shit. Yeah, I, did, I, I was arrested for assault and battery, you know, blah, blah, blah as a kid. But I never spent more than a night or two in jail. And once I did, I said, you know, this is not the place I want to return. Because that, you know, uh, the, the, that to me is, I mean, that's that's a, a such a force of, of feeling a total restriction. It's like, man, no, 
I no thank you. You know, I'll find a way to snake my way through the system without being a, uh, so dis disturbing to anybody else. Some of the shit I did was absolutely stupid. You know, but that's what you do when you're a kid. You know, and if you're lucky, you live, and if you're not so lucky, you die. Or you yeah, and you know, the sad thing is. So many people build lives for themselves that are the very same as spending time in jail. They just don't need any bars or walls to hold them in it. Exactly. It's the mind. And it's, exactly. it's through the connections with other people that we find our escape from the prison of our mind. And on that note, my family duties are calling. Oh, it was, hey, man, it was a complete pleasure. I hope you feel the same. And uh, Absolutely. Know, talking to you again soon, whenever. You know, but yeah, man. I, I think we kind of got to know each other a little better here, and maybe next time we can actually get into a little bit more specific stuff. And because we kind of yeah, we kind of just went out there. <laughs> well, that's a, I, I don't. I, I'm a. You know, I, I ramble, and when especially with the first meeting that I have with somebody, I mean, I had it all in the sense that when you and I talked, we would go, you know, just follow this thread of sustainability and so forth. <laughs> it didn't happen that way, and that's cool because. All of the specifics, you and I are already on the same page. Now we just have to come up with the design factors and however how those designs could be incorporated and actually constructed, you know, uh, in, a, in, in, in a very efficient way. And so to me, we got what was what's really important because if you don't have a relationship with somebody, if there's a lot of difficulty in communication, that's where you want to start anyway. That's why I, I don't mind rambling at all because when it comes down to getting things done, I know how to do that too. But when I'm first meeting somebody, I like, you know, it just happens spontaneously. I'm a spontaneous uh, enactor. I don't have a, have a plan uh, unless I'm going to give a, something to do with business or construction or even if it's something to do with a specific subject. I mean, as you've seen, I can get to the point in a tweak. So whatever, you know. I feel the same, man. You know, I, I ramble on almost every time I open my mouth. but. <laughs> To so me, <laughs> the, the plans lead up to the action, you know, and then you act and you do well, you do what it takes to move even, through. I'm acting even during the course of the rambling. I am doing. That's what I'm, I'm saying. Rambling. I like to ramble and talk, a rambling man, you know. You get to a point, like you can plan. We plan to have this conversation. We planned a time. We, we considered we things we might talk about, but then we chose in. And then when you get there, you just do what the task requires. And we got where we got and everything, you know, and so. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad to have had the chance to talk with you, and um, hopefully this is the first of, of multiple opportunities we get to do this, and, and hopefully anybody who gets a chance to listen to this will find some things that they can bring into their own lives and dance and move forward. And, and just show how relationships uh, develop, and, and it has nothing to do with, I mean, in some ways it has something to do with age, and others it has nothing to do. I mean, you're 33, I'm 65. What does that tell you? Why are we connected? Why, how we, we're thinking along the same lines uh, and we're on the same page and you've already seen a lot in your life. And that's the same thing that I said to Jared when I talked to him, he's about your age too, is that it's, I'm fascinated by the fact that your age group, which is the same group as my son, so I guess millennial or what's C, uh, whatever, whatever the generational divide is in terms of age differences, it's fascinating to me that there's a lot of you guys out there uh, in your in this particular age bracket that are thinking along the same lines because you're the future, not you know. I mean, we're all the future in a sense, but I'm saying I know I'm I'm much closer to moving off on than you are. So that that 30 years though still doesn't make that much difference 
in what our vision is and what we want to achieve. We're just doing it as individuals, you know, and it, yeah, also- I mean, my kids, my kids have a similar vision than I do. They don't have the specifics, but they know they want the world to be a nice place to live and have friends and have fun things to do. That's <laughs> <There we go. laughs> it's about that simple, isn't it? So, it is. We sure make things hard. Have a great time with your family today, and uh, I'll be interacting with you on uh, the Twitterverse. Take care. All right, brother. See ya. We here at the Logocentrifugal Podcast work hard to bring you the highest quality audio, the best editing, and the most professionalism of any podcast on the market. Either that or we do the exact opposite. Either way, consider supporting the podcast. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can support the podcast by supporting the podcast. There's a link somewhere, and I encourage you to click the link to support the podcast professionally. Thank <laughs> you.